Okay. Good morning. It is a good day to be in the Lord's house, as it is as it is every Sunday. So uh, I am mindful as I am up here in front of you that I would not be here if not for a hard providence in the lives of the silver nails. And so, uh, you know, we need to keep them in our prayers. Um, they are driving back this morning uh, from Boston, the funeral service for Jean, uh, for, Jean, for uh, Joanne's sister, was yesterday. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll take a little bit of time to pray for them uh, right before uh, our, our sermon. But please, uh, let's turn our attention to the Lord uh, and his word. And so would you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 20, uh, verse 15? We're going to continue our series on the Ten Commandments. We are on commandment number eight. And, uh, you know, while you turn there, even though we're looking um, at just a forward passage, you should be in your Bibles. Um, but while you're turning to, uh, uh, to Exodus... Please also find Luke 19 and also Ephesians 4. We'll be getting to those uh, books a little later as well. So, Exodus 20, verse 15, forwards the entirety of our passage to this morning. You shall not steal. That's it. So, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we start by giving thanks to you. We thank you for your word and for your son. And this morning, we especially thank you for the faith worked in Joanne Silvernail's sister, Jean. We are thankful that we are not grieving with them without hope, without joy, but we, we praise you that we know that she lives this morning. We ask that you would give extra measures of grace and comfort and mercy to the Silvernails and the Marshalls, and especially to uh, Dave and Joanne. Would you keep them safe on their drive back um, from Boston this morning? And as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, we ask that you would humble us, that you would uh, enable us to hear the ways in which we are liars and that we are thieves. Would you help us um, with the humility to see the way in which we break your commandments? Help us see the transforming work of your son with regards to this commandment as well. And so, Lord, we pray these things in the name of our generous Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, I want to start with uh, a story, as a lot of sermons do. We start with stories. And I want to tell you about my time at summer camp. And for those of you that know me, you know that I'm a gigantic nerd. So I started, uh, I, I went to summer camp uh, for three years, starting in the summer of 2000 through the summer of uh, 2000, I guess, two it would have been. And we went to, uh, to the summer camp to take class. So I literally went to school during the summer. I went to school, uh, I took classes eight, day, uh, eight hours a day, five days a week for three weeks, one class intensively. My last year there, I went through uh, physics. We did 33 chapters in three weeks. It was crazy, okay? And so we're staying on the, the campus of a liberal arts, small liberal arts college up in uh, Lancaster, PA. And we're living in dorms, me, my classmates, about 500 other students taking a variety of different classes, right? And because, you know, the first thing that you think of when it comes to entertainment for uh, 12 to 16-year-old nerds is a dance, there were five dances every three weeks. And you're like, what? 
okay? And so, of course, it's out on the quad, you know, out on the green, and, you know, you got awkward people dancing, and they don't know what to do with each other, and you're like, okay, this is great. So my first year there, summer of 2000, uh, my roommate had lost his, his key to the room in a tree, and he wasn't allowed to go get it back because apparently the campus of that particular college was an arboretum. And so you weren't actually allowed to touch trees. In fact, if you struck a tree with a, a, a Frisbee, the camp rule is that you had to run up and give it a big hug and say, I'm sorry, tree, for hurting you. Okay, so he, he lost his tree. He lost his key in the tree, right? And so he's not, uh, he's not able to lock our doors. Well, come Friday night, dance is coming. I'm like, I want to go dance. It's going to be great. I'm going to be really awkward and, and, you know, the whole nine yards. And my friend's like, yeah, I don't want to go do that because, you know, he's a gigantic nerd, right? Same as me. Well, so I'm like, well, you know, you can't lock the door, so you got to stay up here and not come down to the dance for the entirety of the dance. So I'm down there. I think nothing of it, right? End of the dance comes. The whole building is emptied, and they sit the whole building down, the whole dorm down, and the, the counselor is like, you need to lock your doors because there have been a, a rash of thefts. Now, you've sort of put two and two, two together by this point, and you, you realize that I'm looking at my roommate who has been, who's been down at the dance for at least a couple of songs, right? And I'm like, wait a second. If he's down here, then that means, oh, no. And so I run back up to the, my room. 14-year-old me, the door's wide open. I check my sock drawer for the money that I'd, I'd stashed away there. It's gone. I'm like, 70 bucks. It's my whole candy stash. Like, I can't buy anything. I can't buy souvenirs. The candy. Think of the candy. <laughs> oh, and, you know, of course, the teenagers, candy is an important thing. So it was a devastating loss for me. Right? And, you know, we identify easily and rightly with victims of theft. We, theft. we sort of feel a righteous indignation, uh, a desire to condemn these thieves that have taken from us and bemoan the fallenness of this world. And while you're, you know, right there with 14-year-old me sort of shaking your fist at unknown thief, um, bemoaning the loss of candy and of souvenirs, you know, while we do that, we blind ourselves to the way in which we sin. We blind our, we sort of hold at arm's length this, this sin of stealing. Oh, stealing is for these other people, these, these people that sort of do bad things, but it's, I don't have a problem with that. But as we have sort of seen in the Ten Commandments in our series, it's always more complicated than that. Adultery, there, there's, there's lust, and so you sin. Murder, you kill uh, your brother in your own heart, and so you sin. And so, you know, for the most part, when you come to a Ten Commandment, there's probably going to be a way that you sin and you break this commandment. And I'm sure that none of you are, like, plotting ways to break into, you know, Costco or Target to get that 60-inch TV that you think is going to go really well on your wall. But I think that, you know, just as sure as I am that you aren't doing that, I'm also sure that we break this commandment. Both you and I break this commandment. Now, you might be sitting back thinking uh, that, Frank, you just accused me of being a thief, and you're not particularly pleased with me right now. I mean, nobody wants to be accused of being a thief. But as we work through three questions, I think you'll see that we're all thieves. So three questions. First, what is stealing? Sort of what does the Bible have to say 
um, what does the Bible have in mind when it prohibits stealing? Two, second, how do we steal? And third, why do we steal? So, one, what is stealing? We have to define what we mean by stealing. It, it all seems kind of stupid to me to, find, to define. Like, you know, the act of stealing is kind of objective and universal, right? We know what stealing is. It's taking what doesn't belong to you. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? It's an unauthorized taking, if you will. And we have in mind breaking into a bank or into a house to take stuff. And sure, that's encompassed in the Eighth Commandment, but that's not the entirety of the commandment. The problem is that the object that is being stolen is not defined in the commandment. It's a general prohibition against taking what isn't yours. And so our problem isn't the transaction. The problem is, our problem is that is what is being transactioned or transacted. Okay. We sometimes take things that aren't ours and we don't think of it as stealing because we're not taking a thing or a physical object. But what we have is an immensely broad commandment. It's essentially just don't take wrongly. And it's not just about things, it's about not taking anything which uh, doesn't belong to you. Which brings us to the second question. How do we steal? How do we break this commandment? The vagueness of this commandment puts a lot on the table. Between the sermons I've read um, and the sermons I've listened to and the books I've read and my own thinking, I've got something like 20 ways that we actually break this commandment. And since I don't want to be here forever and neither do you, uh, and nobody can remember 20 subpoints anyways, we're going to try to break this down into three big categories and a leftover category because, you know, nothing ever fits into categories neatly. So uh, we're in church. We're talking. We talk in church about serving. And uh, there are a lot of ways to serve. And when we talk about serving, we generally think of it in three ways. We, we want you to think about uh, how you should serve in the church by thinking about how you're using your time, your treasure, and your talents. And so those three things, time, treasure, and talents, are going to help us order our thoughts here. So stealing time. Far and away, the biggest way that we steal time is by goofing off at the workplace. We shoot the breeze with our coworkers or look at social media we're at work. Uh, maybe it's checking your fantasy football team or watching YouTube while you're on the clock. You know, they say that time is money, and when you don't work, you're actually stealing from your employer. But Frank, what's 10 or 15 minutes here or there? And I'm, we're not talking about a legitimate break to sort of refresh yourself so that you can be more productive. We're not talking about that. We're talking about wasteful activity at work. And companies have to plan for this, because when you multiply, you know, 15 minutes a day by, let's say, 1,000 workers, you get 250 hours a day lost to wastefulness, okay? When you convert that time in, uh, using wages, that's a lot of money. 250 hours a day, that's like, what, eight hours a day per, per, per worker, that's like 30 workers or so, 30 people that are getting paid full-time to do nothing. You don't call that stealing. Now, you know, we need to think about the way in which we use our time. Because time is a commodity that we often trade for money. And so we need to be careful about the way in which we spend our employer's time. Else we would be stealing. 
Now, what about treasure? There are also many ways that we steal treasure. We just take stuff in the sort of blatant sense of the word, right? You know, you're... Okay, podium. Oh, I'm back, but I'm gonna bring the podium up just in case. Okay, so, uh, where was I? Stealing Stealing treasure. There are also many ways that we steal treasure, right? We take stuff in the most blatant sense of the word, um, just, you know, stealing from the store or whatever. But we also borrow without returning. If you're like me, there are books on your shelves, movies in your collection, or other assorted items like spatulas, towels, uh, other things that I can think of in my own house that are not mine, that I've borrowed, but I just simply haven't returned. And guess what? If you borrow and you never return, you are actually just stealing, okay? You've taken something that isn't yours. Another way that we steal treasure is by misusing others' possessions. If you're renting a house and you absolutely trash it, you're stealing from your landlord. We essentially get this in Luke 16, where a manager is accused of wasting his master's possessions. We also see biblical evidence for cheating people of what's rightfully theirs, uh, being another form of stealing. Amos 8 describes built businessmen who use false weights and measures. This would be something like a customer buying five apples and you only give them four. That's stealing. We also see in James 5.4 that not paying wages properly is also stealing. A failure to pay workers their wages when they're supposed to receive them is theft. Even delaying them is theft. You're keeping what is rightfully theirs from them. But I think the way that for all of us, uh, the the one way that is going to hit home for a lot of us is piracy. Not like the high seas swashbuckling piracy, but the internet piracy, copyright piracy, okay? We share logins for Netflix. Netflix, ooh, that's a hard one to hear. ESPN, that's also another hard one, right? Just logins for anything that you should be paying for. We watch bootleg copies of movies, we stream uh, sporting events or TV shows from uh, pirated feeds. You know, it's all stealing unless you say, well, they're huge corporations. It's not hurting them. We should think for a moment about the morality of that ethic, that it's not stealing if they don't know or if they don't feel it. It's all right as long as it doesn't hurt them. Well, I don't think that's going to fly in the face of the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment doesn't say, thou shalt not steal unless... Uh, unless you take from the rich and give to the poor, or thou shalt not steal unless you steal from the rich and they don't feel it. It doesn't qualify. It just says you shouldn't steal. The rationalizations that we come up with to justify our stealing are just merely variations on the ends justify the means. We're told not to steal by the Lord God Almighty, and so we should not steal, regardless of our intentions or whether or not sort of the involved parties know about it or not. And finally, talents. We can steal somebody's talents by cheating on tests. Homework. How many of you guys have had uh, copied your friend's homework when you were in high school? Cheated on tests. I did. I'm not proud of it. 
But it's not just dishonesty, it's stealing. It's stealing the time, the intellect, the work of my friend who has actually done all of that work for me. We can also steal somebody's talents by plagiarism. We pass somebody else's work off for ourselves, which is just a variation on the cheating, right? This is why there are footnotes in the insert in your bulletin. I'm, I'm indebted to Joe Chimdalma and to Alistair Begg this morning. Many of the insights of this sermon are taken from them. And we must be careful to represent ourselves accurately, to take credit for only what we have done, and to give credit where credit is due. Now, let's take this one step further. Time, treasure, talents. They don't encompass everything that a, a person has. There are five leftover ways to break the Eighth Commandment. I just couldn't figure out a way to sort of categorize these, so they're just leftovers, okay? So one, a person's trust. You can steal, uh, you can steal a person's trust. Have you ever been misled intentionally? Have you ever been manipulated by somebody else for, uh, for, for their gain? Have you ever done that yourself? Personally, I think this is why monopoly and uh, risk cause you to lose friends, okay? For the sake of the game, you take somebody in, you manipulate them so that they trust you, and you either, either fleece them for their properties or you stab them in the back by breaking up their continent bonus. It's, it's really annoying, right? And I'm not bitter or anything, but what we're talking about is we're talking about the stealing of the heart, okay? In Genesis 31.20, the Hebrew literally says that, J that Jacob stole the heart of Laban when he didn't tell him that he intended to flee from Laban with Laban's two daughters. And so when uh, Laban looks up and Jacob is gone, Laban feels taken. He's lost something. When he catches up with Jacob he, he, and his daughters, he, late, he literally asks, what have you done that you have stolen uh, my heart? We need to be upfront uh, and honest about our intentions and motives. We can also steal somebody's security. This is number two, steal, stealing somebody's security. Fear-mongering is a type of stealing. Playing on the anxieties and worries of people, we take from them peace of mind. For instance, at one point, Sarah and I were living in a fairly secluded apartment. There really wasn't anyone around in earshot. I was off on a mission trip, and it was the first time that I was gone since Sarah and I had been married, and so Sarah was alone in this apartment. And one of, one of, one of our well-intentioned friends said, unthinkingly, oh, I could never stay there by myself. There's no one to hear you scream. And you're like, what are you doing? Unsettling, to say the least. Right? Our friend didn't mean to steal a sense of security, but yet it happened. Okay? Three, we can steal moral purity. Matthew 18, 6 says, Whoever causes one of these little ones, meaning children, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Teens, purity is a big issue with y'all, what with uh, hormones and such. But adults, this is as much for you as it is for them. Porn is a multi-generational issue. And even within the context of godly dating, purity is an issue. Those of you that are dating or are engaged, you can't be flippant about what you do with the person that you're dating because you literally cannot restore to them the purity that you take. Those experiences will endure potentially long after your relationship. 
and it will be carried with them for the rest of their lives. You are stealing from them innocence and purity. Four, we can steal somebody's reputation by slandering them. This is often profoundly damaging, and the effects generally take a long time to overcome. We see often how quickly people fall. Reputations are fragile things. They take a long time to cultivate and only an instant to destroy. We steal another person's good name for our own benefit. Talking bad about them to increases our chances about getting that position or getting chosen or winning or whatever. Maybe we just want to tear them down and so we badmouth them. Either way, we are still taking that which is not ours. And lastly, we can take somebody's dignity. For sure, most of us in this room have not enslaved anybody or robbed somebody of their dignity to that level. But all of us have surely ridiculed and mocked somebody else. I'm not talking about the sort of playful repartee of witty banter, but about bullying and about embarrassing others. All of us can think back on that moment of our greatest shame or embarrassment. And most of the time, it's not just sort of because of something, but it's generally because it's at the hands of somebody else. The loss of dignity is just as much a violation of the way things ought to be as having your home invaded for its possessions. In many ways, it's worse. Possessions can be replaced, but the emotional wounds of lost dignity are often carried for a lifetime. And all of us have those moments from childhood that we can remember like they were just yesterday, and we, so we understand sort of the loss of dignity. Now, thinking through all of these ways, I think that we can agree that in some way we have all taken something that we ought not to have taken. I think that we can agree that there is a cut and dried character to this commandment. It actually does put things into black and white for us. And while there are always exceptions and extenuating circumstances that require wisdom and there's a little bit of gray, we know on the whole what is right. And now hopefully we know that there is quite a bit more to obeying this commandment than just refraining from helping yourself to your neighbor's grill or their tools or whatever. Which brings us to the, the biggest question of our three, the why. Why do we steal from others? Why do we seek to take? In some cases, it's simple greed, which, by the way, is breaking the 10th commandment, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's lust, which is uh, like it was for King David when he stole Bathsheba, which is, by the way, uh, breaking the seventh commandment. And sometimes it's because we think we'll be better if we can tear somebody else down, murdering their reputations to others, which, by the way, is sixth commandment. And as a side, we, we sort of see that the commandments are, in fact, intertwined with one another. But even sort of the reasons of uh, lust and greed and... Uh, you know, just wanting to tear somebody down, all of those reasons can be boiled down to two things, taking what we want and securing for ourselves a better position. And even further below that, there's an underlying position, a foundational position of insecurity. Why do we steal? We steal because ultimately we do not trust the Lord to take care of us. Ultimately, there is a dissatisfaction with leaving things up to the Lord because we think that he will either not come through, us, come through for us in the end or not do so at a level that we would like. And so we question the goodness of the Lord to us. At the heart of stealing is a questioning of the Lord's goodness to us. And we can trace this back to 
the garden where the first theft is committed. Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They stole from the Lord. And the reason why they did was because they questioned the Lord's goodness to them. In Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent questions God's motivations for making the tree's fruit off limits. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The accusation is that God is keeping what is best for you from you. And the result is that you need to look out for, your, for yourself since God cannot be trusted to do what is best for you. And it's, a, it's that thinking that caused the fall. And we still suffer because we think the exact same way. This scramble to come out on top, to care for number one, can cause for, is a cause for you know, compelling stories in our culture today. Look at our TV shows. It's fascinating to, show, to watch shows uh, where nobody knows who, who to trust. Game shows like Survivor and the like pit people against each other. Alliances are forged and then crumble. Everybody ends up trying to manipulate one another, seeking, to, uh, seeking an advantage that they can exploit. It's fascinating to watch what people will do when they know that no one is looking out for them. When you're all alone, knowing that no one will give you an ounce of mercy, you must do what you must to come out on top. You look out for number one. It's often why we are mean and uncharitable to one another. We wish to feel superior and strong. I'd be willing to bet that for most of us in this room, the struggle uh, involving stealing will not involve the time, treasure, and talents. I suspect that it's going to be the gossiping and the occasional bullying that we're going to have the hardest time with. After all, those are the most socially acceptable sins. The sins that don't even occur to us to be sins of stealing. We justify the unkind and uncharitable words we speak as just telling it as it is, just speaking the truth. But what are we missing? What are we missing? Temptation and sin whisper promises of glory, security, and happiness, but they never deliver because they tempt you with half-truths. They never tell the whole picture. There's a twisting of the truth in the serpent's words. We need to see the whole picture. If life is really a giant comp competition, then yes, ma it makes sense to do everything that we can to come out on top. But in that context, and in that context, stealing from your rivals is not only permitted, but smart and efficient, right? What better way to gain ground on everybody else by taking from them and giving to yourself? But as I said, we are missing a piece of the picture. And of course, that missing piece is part of the context because, you know, we know that context is king, as we learned in our last series. We need to see the whole picture, not just the situation or desires that are immediately before us. We need to see our unmet needs and unfulfilled desires in the wider context, not just the immediate situation. And as we do that, as Christians, we see what we miss. We miss all the things that have already been given to us in Christ. The serpent, the serpent didn't point out that God, was not, that God had not only created Adam and Eve in his image, and had also put them in a place of great honor as the stewards of creation, but he also didn't point out that God had put them in paradise, lavished upon them uh, freedom, and had lavished upon them richness. They were permitted to eat from any tree, 
And that was only checked by the prohibition on the fruit of one single solitary tree. Have you ever stopped to think about the unimaginable luxury that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden? Every tree, every animal, literally an endless supply of bacon, right? And they throw it all away for one tree, for one fruit, for one taste. What Adam and Eve missed that fateful day in the garden was the immense riches that, had, that an infinitely good God had given to them already. So that begs the question, what has Christ given to you? For any of you that are unbelievers, any good thing that you have or have experienced comes from God. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and he doesn't stop there. Christ extends a gracious call to you. He holds out salvation, eternal life, and himself to you. You should come and taste and see that the Lord is good. For you Christians, what has Christ given to you? He has given you more than you could possibly imagine. Ephesians 1 says that we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been chosen. We have been adopted. We have been given access to God Almighty. We have been given an inheritance that never fades or perishes. We have been given union with a Savior who willingly died for us that he might redeem us. We have been given love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've been given no fear in death either. We proclaim with Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. O oh, death, where is your sting? And when it comes to stealing, we've been given a security that cannot be taken from us. For if God is for us, who can be against us, right? We've been given freedom from the tyranny of sin, and most of all, the freedom from the tyranny of having to look after number one. So that brings us to our last question. I said three, this is actually number four. So what now? So now that we've talked about what stealing encompasses, how we steal and why we steal, there's really only one question, what now? Ephesians 4:28 helps us with this question. It shows us the transformation that happens when thieves meet the gospel. Let the thief no longer steal, but, let, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that we, he may have something to share with anyone in need. The gospel doesn't stop, see you stopping your stealing. It sees you replacing your stealing with giving and generosity. I asked in the weekly newsletter for you to think about the difference between stealing and gifting. While there is, of course, a difference in the direction of transaction, the big difference is your regard for the object of your actions. The thief cares nothing about his victim. If there's any regard for his victim, it's a kind of devaluation and contempt. The target really isn't worth thinking about. And the gospel turns that 180 degrees. You begin to see as Christ sees. You begin to give out of the overflow of your heart that comes from uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of disregard, there is a seeking to serve, a seeking to see well. Instead of contempt, there is compassionate mercy. It's all because we've, we see the surpassing richness of the gospel, which has been given to us. We need to live in light of what we've been given. 
Again, for you non-Christians, come find me after the service, please. I'd love to talk with you about uh, what Christ offers to you in the gospel. Christians, do you live in light of all that you've been given in Christ? Do you live in light of your new identity as a beloved child of, Christ, of God? You know, there was uh, once a little girl who lived her whole life in an orphanage. Food was scarce and her life was hard. And then everything changed. She was adopted into a loving family. They had more than enough means to feed her and clothe her. And her parents told her that they were, she was now their daughter. They loved her and showered her with affection. But one day they found food stashed away in her dresser. She had been stealing food from the kitchen, afraid that there wouldn't be any more, afraid that her time there with that family was fleeting. She wasn't acting like a daughter, but rather an orphan. And so what did her parents do? They sat her down, reminded their daughter that she didn't need to steal anymore, that she was free to help herself to all that she wanted, that she could trust her new parents to give her everything she truly needed, and that her parents would not forsake her. They loved her. And isn't it us? Isn't that us? We live in a culture that teaches us to look out for number one, where everything is a battle for survival. But we have been adopted into the household of God. We have been made heirs, sons and daughters of the living God. And we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we have all the privileges of being children of the living God. But we don't live like it. Don't you see, dear friends, what we've been given? Don't you see that we've been given far more abundantly than we can imagine? We no longer need to steal, but rather we are free to give the riches, to give from the riches of our Father in heaven. We are to live not like orphans, scrapping and looking, for, looking out for number one, but we are to live like children of a rich God who loves to give us good gifts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It reminds us that we have been given far more than we can possibly imagine. Help us to live in light of our new identities as children of God, loved and delighted in by you. Would you keep us from stealing in any way, but make us gracious and generous people, overflowing with grace and with mercy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.